Jesus. Well, you're all looking good this morning. You are, you're looking good. Do I look good? Yes. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, God is so good to me. Uh, I know that I'm divinely connected to Brother Jerry. And uh, he, he goes around the world telling people that he's God's favorite. I will not dispute that. Why would I? But at the same time, I feel like because I'm so closely connected to him that I'm a very, 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 very close second. <laughs> like inseparable from the favor that comes from one to the other, you know. So, praise the Lord. Uh, while I was on the missions trip, just going with the, with the missions team as they went into Botswana and then went on into Zambia, on the very first day that I was on the missions trip, actually on the Monday morning, I, I got a phone call. Monday, US, Monday morning, U.S. time. I got a phone call asking if I was attending the minister's conference. And uh, that is happening uh, early November, Brother Jerry's minister's conference. And so I had earlier in the year indicated that um, I, would, I was praying about it and that I might want to be bringing a few people with me. Um, as it turned out, the Lord had other ideas and other plans for us as a ministry and certainly for me in particular. And so as the year unfolded, it became clear to me that certainly if I was to go, I wouldn't take anybody else with me. Um, and, and that's just the way that the, the year unfolded and the plan of God unfolded for us. So that was a, when I got the phone call from the U.S. to ask me if I was coming, I said, well, if I am coming, I'm coming on my own. I won't be bringing anybody with me. And so they, they were quite, uh, quite pleased to hear about that. And they asked me then if, uh, if I, would, uh, I was going to stay on. And so I said, well, how long would you like me to stay for? <laughs> so um, I'll be staying on and traveling with Brother Jerry for a week or so, and then attending Kenneth Copeland's Ministries Conference in Washington, D.C. with Brother Jerry. So I'll be traveling around the States with him all the time until the conference is finished, and then flying back to DFW with him, and then from there coming back to South Africa. So I will be uh, early November time frame. I'll be missing for, for two Sundays. But uh, it's a joy for me when the Lord gives me opportunity to be called into service and to be around Brother Jerry and around all that he's doing. And uh, if nothing else, just to, to be in association with him. Amen. Amen. It's not a horrible thing, actually, that Brother Jesse Duplantis is the guest speaker at the, in the minister's conference. It's not a bad thing, right? No. It's not a bad thing that I'm Brother Jerry's special guest going into Kenneth Copeland's Minister's Conference either. Right? It's not a bad thing. No. So, I just wanted to let you know. 
I had to make a very quick decision, and so uh, I'm, uh, praise the Lord. I've also been asked by some people in the church, and I think the timing is appropriate, that we start to take up offerings for Brother Jerry when he comes. Um, we, we have been blessed by, by someone, an individual or a company who has paid for the, for the fuel. 18 months ago, what the fuel price was 18 months ago. The fuel price has doubled since then. So we uh, have to exercise our faith that, uh, that there is more money available for us to be able to pay the whole fuel bill for Brother Jerry when he flies with our jet, with his jet. Yeah, it's our jet. I like the sound of that, actually. I mean, if it's his jet, then it's our jet. Right? So praise the Lord. Um, just wanted to say, I think it's time for us before he gets here at the end of January that we start to take up offerings and prepare ourselves for receiving him and the people that are going to travel with him. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Like I said, can't help it that I'm so favored. So, so favored. So, you know, it wasn't sort of on the, on the highlight of my radar that I would be going to the minister's conference. It was in my heart, actually, that, that uh, um, somehow uh, there would be sort of a chariot tour slash minister's conference. Perhaps some of the mind, mic changes would come with me. You know, that kind of a thing would materialize as I was praying for about it earlier on in the year. So that didn't happen. Um, but I'm, I am going to tell you about something that is happening next year. And I want you all to pray about it because I do believe that it's something the Lord wants us to, to put out there. That um, we'll be going to, I'm going to join Brother Jerry. So I've had some, a number of conversations with him this week. And... Um, I'm going to be joining Brother Jerry in May next year, early May. I think it's from the 4th to the 9th of May. I'm going to be joining Brother Jerry on uh, his 25 years of running chariots of light, um, where he started the very first, did the very first chariots of, of light tour, which is in California. And he's going to do a five-day tour in California. And uh, so I'm going to be joining them for that tour. So any, anybody who uh, wants to come with, you don't have to ride a motorbike. You don't have to own a motorbike. Um, just don't even have to be part of chariots. If you want to come with, please let me know, and we'll pray about it and see who God's got on his, on his mind and, and who wants to be part of that trip to the USA. I believe it's significant. We've had some conversations about, about other things that are happening in Brother Jerry's life and all pertinent to me and us as a ministry. And uh, we, we both feel that that trip in California for Brother Jerry is, is significant. Amen. Amen. So, doesn't matter what the world economy says, doesn't matter what global events say, we keep going in faith. We keep going in faith. Amen. Praise the Lord. So I, didn't, I haven't started preaching yet. That was just a preamble to my preaching. I can start my alarm clock now. Right? Right. Okay. Just so that we're in agreement. 
I think one of the greatest, one of the greatest uh, challenges that you and I face, and I'm going to use my own life as an example, and I'm going to talk to you about me for a little bit, not because I want to draw attention to me, but because if I talk about myself, then, then uh, uh, I don't have to talk about anybody else. I can talk about my journey. But you and I face a challenge that uh, we have been born, it doesn't matter what age you are, but we have been born into an age of uh, very, very speedily, speedy developments in the life of humankind. The mankind's life is developing at, a, at an incredible pace from a population growth point of view to a to a food management point of view, to a technology point of view, uh, whatever you want to name it, we have, we have accelerated in our growth as, as mankind over the last hundred years. Certainly, I was privileged enough, and for the most part, many of you have been privileged enough to grow up in a time where there has been no significant major war. And, uh, and I mean like a World War II or a, or a war that has affected many, many different countries or had a global, a global impact. In fact, I would say that in our lifetime, even if you're 60, 70 years old, 80 years old, doesn't matter, in our lifetime, we've been fairly blessed to grow up in a time of relative peace, relatively speaking. I know there's been lots of chaos in Africa at times, I know there's been lots of chaos in, in the East at times, in Middle East, and other places in the world. Um, but relatively speaking, compared to what has happened in, in mankind, from, from the great crusades that happened, you know, from, from kings that would war with each other over territorial dispute over the centuries, to world wars, to pandemics that really devastated mankind, like the Spanish flu, uh, to many other things, we've actually lived in a time of relative peace. Um, the gr I think one of the greatest things that have affected us more than anything else has been COVID, in terms of a global impact. And so because we are privileged to have grown up in that kind of environment, we are in danger of... Uh, thinking that from a human point of view that the spiritual forces that have been at work amongst mankind for centuries and centuries and millennia that those forces are no longer operating in our lives today and that there's not going to be that kind of major global impact ever again and I'd say, now that we've had COVID, we were probably more alert to it than any other time. But certainly before COVID, if anyone had to talk like this, we would say, no. You know, our technology is too good. Our medical science is too good. Our capability of, of solving problems in terms of we have a United Nations. We have, we have uh, um, superpowers with nuclear weapons that intervene in conflicts and they happen to be on the right side of morality. So generally speaking, we would have said, no, nah, that's not going to happen. But uh, 
I think for many of us, COVID was a wake-up call. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I know we walk around without masks now and we don't have to always, it's, I mean, it's your choice if you're walking to a restaurant or a supermarket or someplace uh, to, to, you know, to sanitize your hands. And, uh, I mean, it's your choice to do these things, but uh, if you don't want to have anything more to do with COVID, you don't have to. We live very much free of COVID. You know, when we crossed the borderline to go into Botswana, suddenly you walk into the customs office, the immigration office, and, and uh, on the Botswana side, and they want to, where's your mask? You, where's your mask? So you kind of hit this thing that the rest of the world out there is still kind of impacted by COVID. So I think that, I think that mankind has been living in an age that has been very nicely teed up for us to think that actually we have our destiny in our own hands as mankind both individually and from nations' point of view and, and alliances of nations, that we have our destiny in our own hands. And we somehow think that spiritual forces have no direct impact on what's going on. And so, and so it was for me growing up. For me growing up, I grew up in an age where uh, I grew up with privileges that I now, I now, certainly when I was a young boy, I was so com completely oblivious of political matters. I just went to school every day, and my, my biggest threat to me was my own parents' poverty, you know. Uh, but certainly because I was in church and because I was, uh, I was uh, a pastor's kid and I, I was born again when I was young and filled with the Spirit when I was seven. You know, for me, like I said to you before, I never had an identity issue. I always knew I was in God. I always knew what my future was in God. Was in God. And I always knew that, that uh, um, I was called to the ministry. So I never had an identity issue. I never had a long-term plan issue for me. I always knew what my future looked like. My biggest threat to me, as I said to you, was a, was a lifestyle threat. And yet, compared to many others, you know, I now come to know that actually my poverty was not such great poverty after all. You know, there are many, many people that have a lot more poverty than I had. So I, as I was growing up, I grew up, really, my biggest focus, other than serving the Lord and playing sport, getting through school, um, and really, school was something that was just a platform for me to play sport. I didn't see any other need for school. <laughs> you know, learn why. You know, certainly I was, I was, a lot of teaching was happening in our Pentecostal church circles at the time that you may not live, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, Jesus might come next week. And so, if you live with that message coming at you the whole time, like the next biggest focus for me was to get married. You know, I wanted to enjoy the benefits of marriage before Jesus came. <laughs> Nicely put, eh? <laughs> and so, 
And so, uh, you know, that's, that's where my focus was. So, of course, when I grew up and, and I w went into the military, I was first, my first confrontation with real life and death and the horrors of what war could do became, came very close to me. And I certainly, for the first time, discovered that there was a whole world out there that didn't agree with our nation's thinking, and rightly so. Um, certainly didn't agree with what we were doing. Um, but I found myself in a conflict, and I found myself with, uh, with politics putting me into a place where my life was threatened. Literally. Not figuratively, literally. On a daily basis for a long time. And... Uh, my trust in God and the depth of my walk with God went to a new level as I put my trust in Him. And that was my first confrontation with something that was happening that was much greater than the world that I could control. And later on, I began to find out that it didn't matter what we thought growing up, we could not control everything in our world. Our nation could not control it. And so you have many things going on in the world right now. Because, because I grew up in, a, in this mindset of relative hopeful outlook and relative optimistic, you know, feel-good view of the future, I, I didn't really find it necessary to consider the options of the alternatives. And so when my, my children went to school, uh, you know, we wanted the best schooling for them. We were prepared, we were prepared to pay a, a big price for that in terms of not buy houses and not buy many things to pay the price to have our kids have the best education because we thought that uh, education, a good education would set them up for a future Please understand my optimistic view of the world. And because, although I was persecuted for my faith at school, I considered that a privilege in my own walk with God. And I thought, well, because I could do it, my sons could do it. What I, what I could not anticipate and what I did not see, and certainly something that was, would confront me in a big way later, was that the active spirits that have been at work in mankind for a long time would start to manifest themselves in a younger and younger and younger generation than I grew up with. So when I was growing up in school, for example, when I was even like in matric, I, I remember we only got a black and white or a, or a TV of any sorts when I was 14 or 15 years old, my household anyway, you know. And, uh, and so you... I think they only had TV from, from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock at night. Or Anybody remember? <laughs> I'm not giving my age away here. You know, but I mean, literally in South Africa, we didn't have TV, and we used to sit and listen to Friday night detective mysteries called The Flying Squad, and things like that on the radio. You know, that was our kind of entertainment. Seems like a long way away from that, huh? Well, that just shows you how quickly things have changed in our world. So certainly growing up for me at high school, uh, 
I mean, I was aware that there were people that were smokers that were kind of the rebels of the school. I was aware that people that would, you know, that would sometimes bring alcohol to school and try and do something and show how big, how big a rebel they could be. Uh, and they would, you know, not pitch up at school for various things. So certainly pornography was not something that was evident in school life. It was something very rare if it ever did happen in my schooling. But if you just fast forward all these, all these years, you know, pornography can be in the hand of any child that has got any device where there's no, where there's no particular parental guidance through the internet. So what has happened is that all of the forces that have come against mankind over centuries, perversion, violence, addiction, many different things that have come against mankind over the centuries. I grew up in a time where it was relatively at peace. And uh, if I wanted to start preaching, and, and I believe it is time for me to do so, I'm going to gently approach the subject of, of uh, the end times. I've never preached about this before, but uh, I, I, I believe it's time for me to, to speak about it. Amen. Certainly from, from my childhood, part of the reason I have not focused on or majored on that subject is because I've never heard, I've never heard a preacher of the end times get it right when it comes to timing, or, or intent, or focus, or whatever they, or whatever they try to do. Certainly, I grew up with almost a fear that I would be sinning one day and God would come and then I wouldn't be able to make it. Right? I mean, I did. I grew up in church, afraid. That if I sinned too much on a particular day, I would lose my salvation. And Jesus would come just at that time I was going to lose my salvation. And then I wouldn't make it. Come on. Yeah. And so, uh, for me, it's a, it's a subject, as I say, I'm going to approach gently. And I'm going to do it through a journey from the ancient paths to new discoveries. Because the Lord has given me this focus that we have got to uh, journey to new discoveries. And we are going to journey to new discoveries in God, in relationships, in finances, in different things. We are going to journey in new discoveries. And certainly we're going to journey and find out where we are right now and what we should be observing from a church's point of view, how we should be praying. Glory to God. I can tell you up front, I'm not going to talk about any times. I'm not going to give you any dates. I'm not going to talk to you about what the tribulation means and whether the pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, mid-tribulation. I'm not going to talk to you about, uh, um, uh, you know, what is the seventh week of Daniel. And I'm not going to talk to you about, you know, when, when Israel became a nation in 1948, that became the clock started ticking for the return of Jesus. You see, I know a bit about the subject. I've been in church a long time. I've, been, I've heard many, many preachers preach about this a long time. I'm not discounting that all of those things might be true. 
The challenge I have is that many people have put dates to things and they've, and they've put uh, different, uh, different things that happened uh, um, into immediate context. For example, there have been ministers that have, have written books. I certainly had a minister who's now gone to be with the Lord and he wrote a book I predict in 1984. Global ministry, very well-known man. I predict in 1984 that, and he basically said, Jesus is coming in 1984. Well, I didn't know how he knew that because Jesus himself didn't know that. But he sold a lot of books. And then he didn't come in 1984, so he wrote a book in 94, why Jesus didn't come for 1980, but he's coming in 1985. I kid you not. And he sold another lot of books. And then he found out, actually, maybe I should stop writing books about this because it's doing my reputation harm. And so throughout the years that I've been around, people have taken world events and they put them into a timeline or said this can happen any time now or whatever the case might be. So I, I'm going to stay away from that. I'm going to merely talk to you about our journey as a church and how we need to be paying attention of what's going on around us or have knowledge of what's happening in the world events and, and how we should be preparing ourselves for for, the, for the, the journey that we have to undertake. Because God's got us on a journey. It doesn't matter what other churches are doing. It doesn't matter what other people are saying. God has got us as a church on a journey. And we, on this journey, must discover what God wants us to do, not what every other church is doing. It's very important that we understand that God has this church on a very specific uh, mandate. So the last time before Bill and Ginger were here, and it was marvelous to have them here, they went home this week, and he's already been uh, communicating with me on email, and uh, certainly I think their lives have been changed for the better, as have, has, have ours. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Right. So, I started with the message, uh, the scripture in Psalm 8, verses 3 to 9, when he said, verse 4, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you should visit him? And certainly, from my point of view, when I look at myself as a human being, and all of my weaknesses, all of my humanity, in my humanity, I have no hope for a future. But in Jesus, I have every hope for the future. In my humanity, I am subject to reason. In my humanity, as a human being, as a man, I have weaknesses. Believe it or not, I do. I know I'm nearly perfect, but not quite. Uh, I, have, I have weaknesses. And believe it or not, the enemy of God who's been around for thousands of years through demon spirits, through the knowledge of how to function through the desires and the words of men, he knows exactly how to get to you. And so we have, we have a, a hope, and our hope is in Jesus, behind the blood. If we are in Jesus behind the blood, we are a new creation, a new creature. And the power of the new creature is waiting to be released so that we can live in power and dominion, not in our weakness. 
Hallelujah. Which is why the Apostle Paul can say, when I'm weak, then he is strong. Because he identified himself as being the chiefest of sinners, having weakness as a human being, but in God, thank God he says, I have the grace of God. Thank God that he saved me from myself and he saved me from the course and the direction that he himself was following. John, I read to you from John uh, chapter 8, verse 23. Uh, I read from verse 25. Then they said to him, Oh, who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. And then verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Verse 38, I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. And he was directly making a reference that their father is the devil. And his father is God. I mentioned to you in the previous session that Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to preach it. He came to preach the kingdom of God. He came to bring everything that was in the law and bring it into the kingdom. Jesus came as a fulfillment of promise so that we can be free from performance. And if we know the truth that we, are being, that we have been born into, we can live in power. I went on to say that if we live in power, we need to live in power, not personality. Because personality is a human carnal thing. But the power of God overrides your persona. The power of God overrides your persona. Both to yourselves and those personalities that might want to influence you. And if we live in the power of God, not in the personas or personality of yourself and others around you, we have the opportunity to live in power, not performance. So we exchange our lives for purpose not, and not live in popular culture. And I spoke to you about the culture of many years ago and how people had to adapt, adapt themselves to the culture of the time, and you're always having to adapt yourself to the culture of your time. For example, we live in a culture right now, and as I said to you, when I was growing up, I didn't, you know, TV was sort of coming to South Africa, and we were waiting for, for SABC to be able to have all the technology and uh, have uh, a television infrastructure, and uh, to, to actually have a TV in your house was... Not everybody could afford one. And if you did eventually manage to get one, you often had a choice between black and white and or color. And, uh, and there were big, boxy, bulky things with little screens, you know. And uh, th that, that was the culture. Now, as a church, we have this beautiful digital screen that's not working today because we have a power outage here. And our power generator can't cope with all of the power requirements that we have, which is why... You're a little warm in the service today. So we prefer to go live with a message and do what we have to do rather than have all the facilities available in the auditorium. I apologize for that. Uh, we still need to have, and God will provide us with all of, all of the power that we need here in this auditorium. Amen. 
Amen. But if we're going to live in popular culture, then, uh, then the popular culture will always drive our agenda. The popular culture says what? The pop popular culture has said for the last 30 years, at least for the last 30 years, you can be all that you want to be. Be whatever you want to be. Dream as big as you want to dream and become whatever you want to become. There's no stopping you. And there was just huge amounts of self-motivational. And I'm, I'm going to say this probably started as way back as 50 years ago, but let's just call it 40 years ago that it really began to come into mainstream life where people began to, you would watch movies and you would have people that would, would uh, talk to you about how you success motivational speakers and they would teach you about goal setting and they would teach you about dreaming and using your imagination and they would teach you about all the kinds of things that you could you could go through and they would teach you techniques of how to power sell yourself and how to politically manage a, a conversation and how to you know pitfalls to watch out for and and things that you could go after Be everything you could be. That was the popular culture of our day. It still is a very popular culture. In fact, it's not only uh, become less, it's grown stronger and stronger. Be whatever you want to be to the point where it says, we don't, I mean, this is a real thing that happened in the United States Supreme Court. They were actually, and that, that Supreme Court judge, this is the highest court in the land in the USA. There's only nine Supreme Court judges, and she was nominated into the office or into the position of one of those nine Supreme Court judges. One of the senators asked her a question, and she he said to her, uh, or she said, she asked, it was a woman to woman, and the woman said to her, can you please tell me what your definition is of a woman? And the Supreme Court judge says, I can't tell you. I'm not a doctor, that's not my level of expertise. That was her answer. Why? Because it's become okay if you want to, if you're a man and you want to identify as a woman, you can. You can become anything you want to become. You can dream and dream whatever you want to dream, and you can do and become anything you want to become. That's the popular culture of the day. It hasn't become smaller, it's got bigger. The scope of it has become bigger. So I ask you, if you cannot have a simple truth like, are you a male or a female? If you cannot identify biologically what you are, where is the spectrum of truth that is your foundation of truth? Because the minute you say, I do not want to identify as one or the other, maybe something different, something in between, I don't know what that is. But if that's, your, if that's your perspective, and that's what they're teaching children from the age of five right now in the schools in America, this is not a, this is not a hoax I'm telling you folks. This is not a one day it's going to happen. This is happening right now in government schools in America. Bill and Ginger 
when they were here, they were telling us about a, and I'm going to be careful with the words because we talked about it, you know, privately, but, but uh, uh, um, they were telling us about a circumstance that they, are, that they know of directly. This is not hearsay. They know of it directly. They've personally been involved in this situation where there's a young girl that identifies her, herself as a cat. And so she, when she goes to the toilet at school, the school has been forced to accommodate her that she goes to the toilet in a litter, a box litter like a cat would. Because you can become anything that you want to become. Now, if your foundation of truth is so fluid, then what is truth to you? What is what is the reality to you? Certainly, don't you think that would put God very much on the back burner in anybody's conversation? Because if you, can, if you can't identify with your own biological status, then you have certainly not even considered that God gave you a biological status. So what's, what's the end game for these people that says become whatever you want to become and be whatever you want to be? What's the end game? The end game is that you pursue your own agenda in life so that the last thing you want to do is hear what God has for your life. Because while you're pursuing your own stuff for your own life, then you're not thinking about what God wants for my life. So what about the church then? What about the church? Well, if the church allows the popular culture to integrate with the church, then we are going to be somewhere along the spectrum of morality and being whatever you want to become. Because the church has to adapt to the popular culture of the day if you're going to be relevant to the people that you're ministering to. Some would say... Because if your measurement as a church is how you can communicate with people and be relative, relevant to them, then you've got to allow for popular culture to allow you to minister to them as relevant as you can to them. So what is the church to do? Well, we have to stick with one, we have to stick with one truth. And we have to stick with the truth that Jesus is Lord. And that the Bible is the foundational truth of our lives. I've said this to you many times, and I'll say it to you again. I am not your truth. I am a messenger of truth. I encourage you to study your Bible and read your Bible and take your directives from the Bible, not from me. If you trust me as an individual, I will let you down. As many of you, as many of those of you that I know, and you know me well, having many of you been around me a long time in my life, and I'm grateful to God for that, and as long as we have known each other, and as many of you as have, have touched my life in all of its vulnerability, and Pastor Sharon, I've certainly not hid anything in our lives from you. I'm, 
I'm just delighted that the integrity and the foundation of God's Word has protected me all these years. You know, when people came against me and tried to divide my church in 2004, 2005, separate me from the call of God on my life. But, you know, Brother Jerry called me and he said, people have got an accusation against you. So if there's something that I need to know, tell me now, John, because if, if it comes out in front of them, then I can't help you. He was giving me an opportunity to come clean. I said, Brother Jerry, I promise you, I'm not drinking, I'm not drugging, I'm not womanizing, I'm not stealing money from the church. I've got no financial issues. I'm an upright man. And you can come and examine my life. I'm an upright man. So when I walked into, into the, the, I got there early to have a meeting with someone who represented those who accused me. And, uh, and when I got there, he said to me again, John, I want you to come tell me now. I said, Brother Jerry, I promise you, you're talking to a man who's an upright man. I live my life uprightly. Will you find faults with me? Definitely. Come on. You know, anybody can find fault with anybody if they really want to. And you've got to want to. Hello. And if I want to find fault with you, I can really do it. If I really want to, I can just ask, start questioning you, and in a short space of time, I'll find fault with you. It won't be long. Because we are humans. But I have to take care that, and that I am behind the Word of God and the blood of Jesus. And I thank God that He gave me Brother Jerry and Brother Copeland and other men of high levels of integrity at, to model myself on and, to, and to, to, to say, I see men as an example of how they follow Christ, and so I follow their example of following Christ. But never did they become God to me. Never did their messages become the source of all of my direction in life. It has always been the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that is my direction in life. Now, for sure, again, you know, uh, talking this week with them on the phone, we were talking about some things that, that uh, 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 they want to do. I'm, I'm being cautious here now because... There's some things that they want to do that will get in ministry that will have my involvement. And so they were talking to me about some things that they're praying about and they wanted me to pray about and, and some, some things that are, that are going on. And of course, I used it as an opportunity to talk to them about things that are going on in our ministry. I mean, just all the things that God's doing in our church. You know, and update them. And as I was talking, and so if there's anything in your spirit that you feel that I shouldn't be doing or that you have a check in your spirit or there's something that I should be doing or, or a time frame or something, then let me know. And I have always done this. I don't phone them every week. But, but Brother Jerry has, has my, our ministry document. We're busy in the process of updating it again for him. And he has the scope of what we do in our ministry. And my, always my suggestion to him when I give him the document of what's happening in our ministry, if there's anything that, you've, you, that, that you sense, that you feel in your heart that I should be watchful of or that you think I should be taking a different direction, please tell me, Brother Jerry. Please tell me, Joe. 
as I come to people in this ministry that, are, that, are, that pray with me and that I have confidence in. Hallelujah. So what are we supposed to do with the popular culture of the day? We certainly can't adapt ourselves to what they're saying. We have to go with what God says. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. I find myself often preaching, and then people come to me later, and they say to me, Pastor John, everything you're saying, it feels like you were just talking to me, and I was the only one in the church. And I want to say to you, I never prepare a message with a single person in mind. I always hear from God what He wants to be saying to the church. And I minister that, and if it seems like I'm in your bedroom, you know, or in your kitchen room, where you're having personal and private conversations, you know, that's because God's there, not me. Which is why the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, there are things that you will talk in your inner chambers, and a bird will come and spread it out into into the air. Why? Because God's there. You can't have a conversation outside of God, and He's not listening to your conversations. And, and how do you think God can let anybody else know? In fact, as I was preparing for this message I'm preaching to you today, I won't have time to go there, but God had to deal with a prophet who went rogue, and he had, to do it, he had to do it in a way that a donkey started to speak so that God's will could be spoken rather than some rogue prophet who was going to take money from, from a king or be influenced by a king. And so that sounds like a strange thing that a donkey would prophesy. But it's a point that if, if God wants something to be out into the, into the earth, He will shut a man's mouth and open a donkey's mouth if He has to. Hebrews 2 verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, He Himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy the power of death. He might destroy him who had the power of death. That is, the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So I'm just wanting to tell you right now that the devil had the power of death. So when all of the people that were God's covenant people came into the earth, they were uncertain about their future after they died. Because there was no Holy Spirit inside of them telling them what their future was. They only had the promises of God of a salvation that was to come. Stay with me. I'm aware that we don't have air conditioning in the building today, and I'm doing my best to get you out here as quick as I can. I am aware. So, I don't want you falling asleep on me because there's a little airflow in here. But, uh, are, you, are you still awake? Yes. Are you still with me? Yes. Okay. So, the devil had the power of death. So, what is death? Death is the separation of life. So he never had the power to hold them bondage for eternity because that was in God's hand for the day of judgment. 
So neither did they have the ability to go to be with God because no blood of an animal could pay the price for their sins for eternity. So they went into this place called the waiting place. And in this waiting place, they were neither with God nor neither were they with the devil. But the devil had a say over their future until the judgment day that God had spoken about would eventually come. And the devil believed that he had a case that he would capture all of the souls of men for eternity. Are you listening to me? The devil had the power of death. So God had the power of life, but the devil had the power of death. So when Jesus came, he came to take back the power of death that was held by the devil. That he might destroy him who had the power of death and those who through fear had lived their whole lifetime in bondage because they didn't know when the, what this death experience was. You and I have an amazing future ahead of us because we know from the Bible now that we will never taste death. That's the power of what Jesus did for us. That the minute this body folds up in death and no longer exists, the minute it just collapses in no more breath in my body, you won't even know that you've died. Your body just, your spirit and soul transitions into the eternal realm in the presence of God. In that immediate instance, you, in fact, it probably, I mean, I don't know for sure. I haven't been there yet. But, but probably you will take some seconds to realize that you're dead because your body is lying there. And as you're separating from your body, you will take that amount of time to realize you're dead because your awareness of eternity and the presence of God will still be there for you. if you are a born-again Christian with Jesus in your heart. That is a wonderful thing. If you die without Jesus, you will immediately be sucked into a vacuum of darkness. And I'm going to talk to you about that in a few minutes. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive when you were dead in your trespass and your sins. He gave you life. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, the popular culture, the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, who designs the popular culture of this earth, the prince of the power of this air, otherwise known as the one who had the power over death. So that one, he delivered you from that one. The spirit who now works in the sons of those disobedience. So that same spirit that has the legitimacy to death for those who don't believe Jesus, that one is still at work in children of disobedience. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So we were by nature people who wanted to live with the popular culture. The last of the day of the popular culture. 
So I'm not, I'm not tempted to try and chase after the culture of the day where kings lived and people rode on horses with big javelins. What do they call those things? Those spear things? Lancers or whatever they were called, you know. I mean, they would gallop at each other, face marks on, and hit each other off the horse, kill each other, whatever. Come and stand over the guy and cut his head off or do whatever. I, I have no desire to be part of that culture. Anybody want to go back in time and be part of that culture? No. We have to live with the popular culture of our day. Come on, I think I've done a pretty good job of preparing myself before the Holy Spirit today with the Lord and the Holy Spirit to minister something of good value to you. You can say amen today. Hallelujah. So we were like those people that wanted to live in that kind of lust. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. He, Jesus, who has delivered us from the power of darkness. So he delivered us from death, but he also delivered us from darkness. Who has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of our sins who is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and are on in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. This covers the whole spectrum. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. I just want to for a moment talk to you about this word darkness. So, obviously, if you want to say what is darkness, the most uh, relatable way of explaining darkness to you to say, is to say the absence of light. Yes? But that's a little bit simplistic. And as I was preparing, I, you know, I just said, I said to the Lord, just help me, and of course I went to the, to the Greek, and uh, the, the Greek has two words. One word is, 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 is the, the collective word being used in, this, in the translation, and then they have a root word. And the collective word says obscurity or just darkness. Darkness of night or darkness of eyesight or blindness. So you get the image of what the translation says. But then if you go to the root word, I don't even know how to, how to, to, to say the word to you. I guess it's, uh, it's called skia. And it's, it, the word is shade or, or a shadow. Uh, sh shadow shade caused by the interception of of light, by the interception of light, an image cast by an object representing the form of that object, an umbration. In other words, something that gets between you and the light, or gets between the light and the source, or the where the light's going. This is something that comes between 
the light source and where the light is going. So it causes a shadow, a shade, or darkness. So when we go to that scripture and he, and he says, who has delivered us from the power of darkness, he's saying he's delivered us from those things that would intercept and come between our source of light and the world that we're living in. He has delivered us from that intercepting light source. That's the devil. Otherwise known as popular culture. He has delivered us from the popular culture who comes between us and the source of our light. And so if you have the popular culture in between you, the source of light has a shadow that it casts on you so you are in the darkness of the popular culture. So if you're in the light, in the shadow of the popular culture, then of course you can't see the light because the popular culture keeps you in the dark. So the more we give ourselves to popular culture, the more we are in the dark. So if we are going to journey and discover new things that God wants for us, we are going to have to see what is the common culture of the day when it comes to finances. What is the common culture of the day when it comes to relationships? What's the common culture of the day when it comes to the way we see God? What about your future and your destiny? Become all that you can become. What's the popular culture of the day? And what does God say about you can become whatever you can become? You can't. Everything you read about in the Bible, in the New Testament, is that you were never just born because God intended you to be part of a mass group of people who would just be part of the popular culture. But what happened to me when I was growing up, I was if affected by the popular culture. Come on. I've got nothing to hide, so, you know, if we talk about apartheid, you know, the church and the government combined together to bring a doctrine to white people that said it was okay to have a certain reaction towards people that were non-white. So the church allowed the government to find their strength in their doctrine or in their practice, and it became a popular culture to treat all non-white people in a certain way. Certainly, I grew up in the shadow, the shade, the darkness of popular culture that was my only reference point was what the culture was teaching me was relevant. I thank God for my father, my natural dad, who could see in the Bible that that was not true. And so he had relationships with non-white people outside of the law of the country, and actually he was... He was a mediator and he was always the friend of non-white people. And it, it, it caused him to have a seat on the executive body of the, of the religion of, our, of my day because the, the, certainly the, the, the black people of the nation had trust in my dad that he would represent them the way that they wanted to be represented because they by law were not able to represent themselves. Come on. So I was living in the darkness of a popular culture. So 
We needed to be freed from that popular culture. Doesn't matter that there was only one group of people that it was popular with. We were raised in that popular culture. Can you see how it can affect you even though you don't even know? So he, we have to move away from these interfering objects that would come between us and truth. If, you, if anybody has any doubt that Nelson Mandela wasn't appointed and a, appointed by God and called by God to come and be in this nation, and he had to pay 20 plus years, 25 plus years, however long it was, that he had to pay for to be in actual prison so that he could come out and say, I forgive all of the white people that the popular culture says I should destroy them. I forgive them. Let's be a united people. He was more Christian than the church that put him in jail and the government that put him in jail. God sent him so that we didn't have a war because we would still be living in that war. You just go through Africa and see how many civil wars have been in Africa for many years. Not even between white people and black people, just between different tribes of black people. If you think we still wouldn't have a Zulu war against the Sutus and against the Khosas or whatever, uh, up till now, if he hadn't been the one that would lead the charge and God hadn't intervened, God removed something that was in the way of the light so that we could be delivered from popular culture. Now we have a journey that we must walk as a church that says we have to confront our popular culture of this day whatever it is, and we must walk in the light so that the generations that are coming after us can be delivered and walk free. I thank God. I mean, many people don't actually give credit to F.W. de Klerk because he was the head of, a, of an apartheid movement. But let me tell you, F.W. de Klerk was used as an instrument by God because he was the one, he was the one white person power player that was prepared to say, I'll hold a referendum and see what the people say if they want to have a multicolored government. And who did he, who could only vote in the referendum? Only the white people. And what happened with the vote of the white people? They said, we want a multicultural government. We want to be a free people. If you can't see the hand of God on that, then I don't know what it, that God intervened in this nation. And if you think that God did all of that in this nation so that we could just die as a nation and everybody should just be going to, you know, Australia, New Zealand, America, and some other country to get away from South Africa because we're going to end up like Zimbabwe, then you have no idea what God's doing with our nation. And you are allowing a popular cultural voice or voices to tell you what your future is going to be. The safest place you can be in the world is where God wants you to be. It's not where you think you should be. I've got news for you. This is really good news for you today. If you're in this church and you're listening to me, you're exactly where God wanted you to be. That's good news. And 
what's even, even better news is that God has given you a pastor who has, God has divinely given us a legacy. And, you know, all I can say is that I, I'm, a, I'm a product of biology. A male and a female and a biological process. And the fact that my body looks white and that I am the way that I am as a function of biology. It is not the sum total of my calling or the what I am. But what it is, is God called me, me, John, into this body with a legacy of Smith Wigglesworth and John G. Lake and Oral Roberts and Kenneth Copeland and Jerry Sabell so that this man would be called from Johannesburg to Whitbank to come here, to be here, what God wanted us to be here. And so he brought you all here. And that should be good news because what God's got going is he's got a whole legacy that he's bringing to life in us. And what we are going to do is we are going to confront popular culture and we are going to say, what is our journey to truth? Thank you. Thank you. And so, I want to tell you that we are, we are on a journey where in weeks and months to come, I'm going to be talking to you about what God has placed in us as a ministry in education for the future. Because we, we can't have our children's education placed in the hands of people who don't know what they're talking about. Because the people that are wanting to teach our kids are driven by popular culture. Your agenda for your child is likely to have been driven by popular culture already, to some extent, as it was with ours. If I'm not honest about that, then I can't receive the life of the truth of God's Word. If I'm dishonest with about it, then I'll fight the revelation. Well, Pastor John, you think God's got a plan? He always has had, and He always will have. And if we walk in the truth of God's word, he's got a plan for you right now. Glory to God. Okay. Because of the conditions today, I'm going to finish my message. And I have... 26 seconds before my alarm goes. <laughs> How about that? How about that? I'm going to finish my message today, but I'm going to talk to you next week. I'm going to talk to you about false prophets, false teachers. I'm going to talk to you about walking in the light and the popular culture and how the enemy of God must bring the church into popular culture to actually deceive the very elect of God if he can through popular culture and... Uh, and God has got a plan for you and I to bring us away from and cause us to see with eyes that will see, to hear with ears that will hear, 
and give us the power to live the way we need to live so that we are no longer competing or impacted by the popular culture. So, if you were a disciple of Jesus, and Jesus is talking to you, and I'm going to just leave you with this, and Jesus is talking to you, and he says, I've got to go away. And he's got his disciples, and I'm going to read you the scripture next week. He's got his disciples. And he says, I want to tell you truly, it will be just a little time, and every temple, and he's looking out across the temple, uh, to the temple, and he says, every stone of that temple will be destroyed, but I tell you, in three days it will be rebuilt. And then he talks about false prophets, false teachers, times of war, rumors of war, famines, different things that are going to happen. Persecution that will come to the church. I'll tell you what, if you want to live in popular culture, you will suffer the consequences of the end result of what popular culture will bring to your doorstep. So if you think, I want to live in popular culture, and I'm going to have this hope, and I'm just going to live because I can become anything I want to be because popular culture says I can, I've got news for you. You're going to pay a bigger price than you ever thought you would pay. It will be a price of darkness, despair, and destruction in your life. And many, 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 many people are paying the price with their very lives right now. Because popular culture says, why don't you just take a hit of a drug to find out what it feels like? And then 10 years later, they're addicted and can't get free of it. The popular culture says, spend as much as you need on a credit card while you can and buy what you want as young as you can because you've got enough time to pay it off and enjoy the benefits of all of the life things that life has got to offer you as soon as you can. And years later, they lose their house, they lose their stuff, they might lose even relationships because of a financial mismanagement now. Popular culture says, popular culture says, Institutions that are driven by popular culture says. Organizations that seemingly serve you and provide life sources, resources to you are just part of that whole popular culture and their institutions. It's all part of darkness trying to control your future. Wants to control your language, wants to control what you think, and wants to control your choices. But Jesus, he died so that he could raise us up and we no longer have to walk in death. We no longer have to be driven by the popular culture of the day. He has given us the power to speak words into our future. And as we speak words into our future, we walk into the future of our words that is based on his words. And we walk into a prepared light that is free from any obscurity. There's no darkness there. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There is nothing that can separate you. His love is higher, deeper, and wider than anything that can try and prevent you from your future in Him. There's where our source of strength comes from. Hallelujah. Come on, everybody, stand with me, please. Praise the Lord. Glory to Jesus. Aren't you glad God's doing something amongst us here in this people, in this church? 
with us. Yes. Glory to God. Aren't you glad that I'm not just here parroting a message that I, that I preached 20 years ago? Aren't you glad that I don't have an archive library of messages that I can go and pull out and just, oh, I think I'll have a, you know. Aren't you glad that I press into God every time to hear what God has to say for us and to us and with us? Me and Pastor Sharon and those around us, we're always pressing into God to hear what God has got to say for right now. For right now. For us, for right now. Hallelujah. Put your hand on your heart, please, if you will, and say, Jesus... I thank you that you are my Lord and Savior, that you live in my heart. I am your child. I have a bright future. I walk in your light. I do not walk in darkness. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. If you want a future, your future is in Him. It's not in the way that you grew up. It's not in the security of the house that you have or the homes that you have. Go and ask the Ukrainians how many of their buildings are now being destroyed by an enemy that has decided to target them for whatever reasons. Ask people that have lost, lost loved ones that died from COVID. A silent killer that came through all the walls. If you think you can control your future, you're wrong. But if you live in the life of Jesus, you can have a hope about your future. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I thank you for your patience today. I thank you for being in a church where our climate, our environment is less than perfect today. But you've been an amazing, amazing audience to minister to today. Thank you. As a, as a congregation, you've been amazing today. Maybe we should actually keep at this temperature every Sunday. You were really good today. Thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I pray that the peace of God rests upon you. That His joy rises up in your heart. That no weapon formed against you will prosper in Jesus' name. And I pray that you will see and fully grasp all of the things that God is speaking by His Spirit to us in this time. And that we will have a supernatural momentum. And that you will have the boldness, the strength, and all of the things that you need to go with us. And not stay behind and not get lost in in all of the nonsense of popular culture and news yes. and all of the stuff, you will have the, the strength to come with us in Jesus' name. Yes. And be a mighty powerful church in the hands of God. Yes. Praise Jesus. Yes. Have a blessed, prosperous, abundant, healthy, wonderful week that Jesus paid the price for you to have. Yes. Do, you, do you receive it? Yes. Say amen. amen. Okay, bye everybody. <laughs>